Well, um, we're going to continue our series more today, so if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to two different places, Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1. Those are going to be the two main places we camp out in, and I usually like to stay in just a couple of verses, but we've got so much to get through. There will be a gazillion verses thrown at you today, and they will be on the screen, so uh, make some notes and follow along. Uh, this, uh, today, when Brett was playing guitar, I was just really good today. It's always good, but I was admiring his playing today, and you know, I'm kind of checking out his pedal rig. And it reminds me of the days back when I used to play guitar. And uh, one of the things you guys might not know, but if you're a guitar player, uh, the most important thing to use your pedal board. You have all of these pedals that you'll spend hundreds of dollars on, and nobody can tell what on earth those pedals do for you or how they make it cool, but you're really into your pedals if you're a guitar player. And I remember one day we're doing a show, it was at a bar, and we're, we're getting set up for everything. And I'm plugging in all of my pedals. There's this elaborate process that goes into the chain and how you hook them all up together and what pedal comes next and next. And there's all the power supplies that are going to everything. So I get everything all set up. I'm ready to go. And I take my guitar and I do my power strum and there's nothing. And I'm like, all right, let me, let me look. And I'm like, okay. And I'm starting to go through everything. I'm stepping on pedals, wiggling cables. And I can't find out what on earth is going wrong. So I start going through every single cable. In this setting, we're the next band up. So it's like, you got to be ready to go now. And so I'm going through. I'm checking every little power supply going into every cable. I'm checking every cable, make sure, like, where is this problem? Somewhere in this system that I've created, there is a problem so that I'm not receiving any power. And I keep working at it, working at it, and then the sound guy from the bar comes up and he's like, hey, you plugged your power strip into itself. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Just, I'm cool. <laughs> this isn't my first rodeo, but it might look like it. And so I'm like, oh man, I'm such a fool. What have I done? So I unplug it from itself. Turns out that's not the way a power strip works. And I plug it into the wall and I've got power. And this is what happens a lot of times, I think is have you ever felt in your Christian life like you're powerless? And you're trying to figure out why is it that I feel like my life and my ministry and my passion for Jesus are powerless? And the first thing that we start doing is we start going through the systems that we've created to try to figure out where the problem is. Uh, with, okay, am I, you know, where's my discipleship process that I'm following along with and the books that I'm reading? And we're going through, and even in churches, we have all of these processes and systems that we make, which I'm so glad for, and we absolutely need those things. But a lot of times, the reason why we don't have power in our churches, in our life, and in our ministry is because of the fact that we have plugged the power strip into itself. We aren't plugged into a source of power. Because the only source of power for the church, the only source of power for our lives and our ministry is God. Yeah. And what we can do is we can think that somehow we become the power source for everything that we need to do. When we do that, we become powerless because, I mean, let's face it, I'm not that great at what I do. So if I'm relying on my own power, I'm not going to make a single disciple. I'm going to be completely powerless in my ministry. What I have to do is plug into the power that God has provided for me through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, D.L. Moody is one of my favorite revivalists of the last uh, century, and he had an incredibly powerful, powerful ministry. But that's not the way that it started out for him. In fact, when he was just four years old, his father passed away. There were six kids, and his mother was expecting twins who were born a month after their father passed away. So they're just in destitute poverty, and she's having to send her kids out into the workforce to be able to provide for the family so they can just have food. 
Um, he continues like this, going to a Unitarian church, really doesn't like God, doesn't see like how we could be living this kind of a life if there is some good God that's supposed to provide for us. And when he's 17 years old, his uncle hires him to come work at his shoe company. And he says, but one of the requirements for you working for me is that you have to go to church every Sunday with me. So he's like, all right, I'm not really into this church thing, but I need a job, so I'll go to church with you. And he starts going there, and he keeps hearing about the love of God for him. And finally, one day in his Sunday school class, he's just overwhelmed by the love of God, and he turns his heart over to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm following you from this day forward. And at that very moment when he made that decision, he was filled with a passion for the lost. Now, he applied to be a member of that church twice. The first time he got rejected, which is kind of funny. You think uh, D.L. Moody got rejected from church membership. But the second time he applied, the Sunday school teacher who led him to the Lord said this about Moody. I can truly say, and in saying it, and magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him, that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. Thanks, Sunday school teacher. <laughs> That's what his Sunday school teacher is saying about him. But it's because God did such a miraculous work in his life. He might have been the last person you would ever expect to be in a church, let alone become a Christian, and he was certainly the last person that anybody ever expected to be used by God in this way. But that's just the way God works. Because it's not dependent upon you, it's not dependent upon your past, it's dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit in you and the future that God has called you to. Yeah. So here's what happened with Moody. He knew that he wanted to spend his life telling other people about the freedom and the life and the joy that he had found in Jesus. And he started a church, and he had great frustrations in this. And he described it himself as saying that he felt powerless and that the church felt powerless. And he had these two little old ladies in his church, and one day after church, they came up to him after a particularly powerless sermon, and they said, we're praying for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's like, okay, well, thank you. And then they just let him go on their way, and he's thinking, what are you talking about? I, I have the Holy Spirit, thank you very much, I'm your pastor. Uh, I, would, I would hope I have the Holy Spirit. And then later, the, the same two ladies tell him the same thing again. And several times, these ladies tell him, we're praying for you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so he starts getting curious about this, and he starts looking into Scripture and saying, Lord, what are these ladies talking about? Because he recognized there was something in their life that he wanted. There was something they had that he didn't have. So he starts to pour through Scripture, and he begins to see that there is this other thing that God has for us, what's referred to as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And he says, God, I want that. And he begins to earnestly pray for this. And he describes it as one day he's in his basement and he's praying, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. Empower me with the Holy Spirit. And he says what felt like liquid waves of love washed over his body. And he said he was filled with boldness, he was filled with power, and he was filled with an even greater love for Jesus and for reaching people for Jesus. And that very Sunday, he went back up and he preached the same powerless sermon that he had preached previously, the exact same one, and many people gave their lives to Jesus. And then here's what happened after that. He continued to preach with this newfound power and boldness and passion inside of him. 
And then hundreds of people are making decisions to follow Jesus. And that turns into thousands of people, and then tens of thousands of people. And it gets to the point of where he's traveling around the world, and he's preaching to 20, 30,000 people at a time, and just so many people giving their lives over to the Lord. And it all looks back, and he always pointed it back to this moment in his basement where he said, God, I need the fullness of everything that you have for me. I need this baptism with the Holy Spirit that these little old ladies told me about and then that I discovered as I was seeking through Scripture. Now, a lot of you guys, if you grew up like me uh, in church, you think, what on earth is this baptism with the Holy Spirit that you're talking about? And the word baptism or the word baptize comes from baptizo, which means to immerse. So when we baptize you in water, what we do is we dunk you down in there and you become fully immersed. You're covered with water and then you come back up. So really what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And a good way for us to think about that is that baptism with the Holy Spirit is a supernatural immersion that gives you an incredible new love and connection and intimacy with God and supernatural power and boldness so that you can fulfill the mission of God. And that's why he gave us this gift. It was so that we could have a greater love, a greater desire for God, a new connectedness to him, and so that we would have more power in the ministry that he's called every single one of us as believers to be a part of. Now, that's an incredible thing. That's what I want. You guys want more of Jesus? I mean, I want more love for Jesus in my heart. I want more boldness and I want more power in my ministry because there is a world out there with billions of people who don't know Jesus and we've been called to reach all of them. And it requires something greater than we have in and of ourselves to do that. And this is something that was actually promised uh, to us as Christians long ago. When you go back to Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, you see this first look at the way that God was going to pour out his spirit or to immerse us in the Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." Now, what God is telling us through the prophet Joel is that, look, right now, you as the nation of Israel, you're living far from God. There's a desire inside of you that you want to have a closeness with God. You want to have a love and a passion for him. You want to be empowered to be able to do what I've called you to, which is to make the name of the Lord famous throughout the entire earth and then to invite everybody into this family that God is creating for himself. But that's not going to be the reality for your life until I pour out my Holy Spirit. And you think again, immersion, he's pouring out the Holy Spirit on us. Now, we see the continue of this prophecy in John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John says, I baptize, baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, what Jesus is referring to, and it's recorded in all four Gospels, is that he is the one who's going to immerse us in the Holy Spirit. He is the one that's going to bring about the fulfillment that we see in Joel chapter 2. And so Jesus continues in his earthly ministry. 
He dies on the cross, he's buried, he's raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit, and he begins to appear to his disciples. And this is what he says to them in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. As he's appearing to them, this is the post-resurrection Jesus. He says to his disciples, uh, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, was this the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied by Joel and John? No. This was the moment of salvation for them. What had happened was now his disciples, who listened to him teach on the kingdom of God, who listened to him talk about what was going to happen to him, the way that God was going to bring salvation to the world, they saw him die, they saw him raised from the dead, they believed him to be the Son of God, they believed him to be the one who saves them from their sins, they put their faith and their trust in him for their salvation, and it says that Jesus breathed onto them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit came into them, saved them, made them spiritually alive members of the body of Christ. That's what's happening in John there. And really what we see in this is actually very um, similar imagery to what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Remember, this is the creation account of how God made man. And it says, Then the Lord formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the word breath and spirit there, they're the same kind of thing. What happened was God breathed his spirit. He breathed life into Adam. Now he's a living being. But what happened when Adam sinned, he lost that. He died spiritually. He lost that breath of life that God breathed into him. And that's the way that we all were born. It's the way that we all grew up. But when we made the decision to follow Jesus and put our faith and trust in him, the Holy Spirit was put inside of us and we became spiritually alive. We received the Holy Spirit. We became members of the body of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit began to be born inside of us because it started to reshape us and it began to make us into the very image of Christ. But though they had received the Spirit at this point, Jesus still had something else to say to them. Shortly before he ascends into heaven, in the final moments that he's spending with his disciples, after he's already breathed the Holy Spirit for salvation into them, it says this in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 and 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from, from Jerusalem. I can't talk. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you've seen two things happen here. Jesus has breathed the Holy Spirit onto them to bring them to life, to make them spiritually living, to save them. And then he says, but you still need to wait because you're going to receive a baptism or an immersion in the Holy Spirit, and that's going to give you the power that you need to be my witnesses. And he says, before you go out to begin the mission that I've given you, I said, as, I've, as I was sent, so I'm sending you. 
I've told you to go out and to make disciples of all the nations, but until you do that, you need to wait until you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says that you will receive power on high at that moment. See, all of the early church viewed themselves as missionaries. That's what defined them. When they made a decision to follow Jesus, now their entire life was about how do I serve Jesus? How do I gather with the community to continue to worship and to pray and to study the apostles' teachings? How is it that I go out there as a missionary in my field, whether it's to my family and my workplace, or maybe it's even some of the people are going off into other countries to spread the gospel, but they all knew we're all missionaries. And the only way that we can accomplish this task that God has given us is when we are immersed in the Holy Spirit to receive a new passion for Jesus, a new passion for the lost, and to be empowered now by God to continue to do the things that Jesus did so that we are sent just as Jesus was sent. In fact, the baptism with the Holy Spirit was so important to the disciples and to the early church that when they would hear uh, that there were groups of people in new cities that accepted the word of God and became Christians, they would send out emissaries to them and they would ask them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because if you just receive the Holy Spirit for salvation, when God breathes new life into you at the moment of salvation, you're not going to have the passion and the power that you need to accomplish everything that God's called you to. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus, that you're not following him to the best of your abilities. It has nothing to do with that. It's not that you're a tier one Christian or a tier two Christian. It's just that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he doesn't make you better than anybody else. He makes you better than you were before. He makes it so that now you can be used to the fullest of the potential that God's put inside of you to make other disciples. And so they would go out and they'd say, hey, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit? And I love one of the groups of people said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And that's how I was when I grew up. When I made a decision to follow Jesus, I just knew that God loved me, that he saved me, and that I was going to put my faith and trust in him for salvation. And when I did that, I was aware of his love for me. There was life that was born inside of me. I received the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was, though. And that's the way that my life was for the first 20 plus years. I lived with the Holy Spirit inside of me to bear fruit of the Spirit and sanctification and make me like Jesus, but I didn't have the baptism with the Spirit to fill me with power so that I could go out and do the things that God had called me to do. So they're going out there. Um, the disciples are checking. Oh, I saw, okay, I got way ahead of myself. Sorry. So they're waiting now for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has been talking to them about. And it says in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they go out there and they preach a boldness. There are signs and wonders going on, and 3,000 people in one day put their faith in Jesus. The church grows by 3,000 people in one day. And more people are saved, they're set free, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're going out there empowered, and they're making more and more disciples. And this continues to go on and continues to spread all through the Roman Empire. Uh, the Romans actually said to them, these men have turned the world upside down. This little band of Christians that started out with Jesus and his 12 disciples, that then the group of 120 that were waiting for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit spread to tens and to hundreds of thousands of people in one generation. And let me tell you, there is no system that we can create, there's no discipleship process that we can devise that will ever see that kind of growth. That doesn't mean we throw those things away, but we have to recognize that our source of power in ministry, the source of power that we have to turn this world upside down, and believe me, this world needs to be turned upside down. Every time you turn on the news, you see how desperately this world needs to be turned upside down. And it happened in their generation, and it can happen in our generation as well. 
It will happen in this church and it will happen in this city when we, like those early disciples and like the members of the early church, say we need the fullness of what God has for me. I need the power that comes from being immersed in the Holy Spirit. I think uh, it was Dwight Moody again, he said this um, about the idea of the way his ministry was before and then the way that God began to use him was saying that basically the gist of it was that there are people in this world who love Jesus with everything inside of them and who want so desperately to be used powerfully and mightily in ministry just like he wanted to. But the reason so many people remain ineffective in their ministry and live frustrated lives, live powerless lives, not living up to the fullness of the vision that God's put inside of their mind is because they lack that immersion with the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not to make you a tier one or tier two Christian. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with the mission that God has called you to and receiving the power to go out there and to do it. So uh, as we have just a few moments left, how do we receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Number one, we ask. It's that simple. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said this. He said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now when he says those of you who are evil, he's not saying that we're really bad parents. He's saying that compared to how good and how holy God is, we look kind of evil. And he says, but if we love our kids and we give them the things that they need that they ask for, then how much more willing is our heavenly, perfect, holy Father to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, how do we receive it? We ask for it. So many of us uh, live our lives without that power and without this incredible gift that God's provided for us because we just haven't sought after it. But Jesus himself says, I want you to ask for this. I want you to seek after it. What were the disciples doing before they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They were praying and fasting for 10 days. They were seeking after it. God told them, go there, pray, and wait, and that's what they did. They got together, they prayed, and they fasted for 10 days. And when God poured out this gift on him that he wanted to give them, it changed the world. That's the gift that God wants to give to us, and all that we have to do is to ask for it. And then the second thing that we have to do is we have to believe. What's really easy for us to do is uh, when you ask for something from God, and then you, like, if you don't feel anything's different, you're like, oh, well, it didn't work. But here's what we have to remember, is that we, as Christians, we aren't a people who operate by sight, we aren't a people who operate by what we see and what we hear, we're a people who operate by faith. And we can't ever allow what we feel to dictate truth. So when Jesus says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give it to you, then we have to have faith and to believe that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we receive it, even if we don't feel anything. And I've seen um, a lot of you guys, I love it. Uh, You'll see someone that's new, they come to church, and they make a decision, they want to follow Jesus, and they raise their hand for salvation. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, they're raising their hand for salvation again. A couple weeks later, it happens again. You know what? 
That's awesome. You keep doing that. You know, if God's moving on your heart, then you just keep saying, God, forgive me, I'm yours, I'm going after you. But a lot of times that's happening because there isn't an understanding yet of God's love for them and what he's already done inside of their heart. There's a feeling that's associated with it, and so they operate based on a feeling. And what we do is we ask for the Holy Spirit, and sometimes when we receive the Holy Spirit, I mean, just crazy, miraculous things happen. And it's like Dwight Moody, or like Moody said, I felt liquid waves of love rushing over my body. Or some people were prophesying, praising God, uh, speaking in tongues. I mean, whatever it was, there were times when it was very evident that the uh, Spirit had just filled them, was flowing out of them. But then I've known some people where they asked for it, and they didn't feel any different. It didn't look like anything had happened. But they just kept believing and saying that, God, you said that if I ask for this, you're going to give it to me, so I have this now. And sometimes I have one friend, he was vacuuming, the most spiritual thing you can do. After he'd asked for a baptism of the Holy Spirit, he, was, he didn't feel anything, like nothing had happened. And it was a couple weeks later, and he was vacuuming. And just as he was vacuuming, just joy, unspeakable joy just rushed over him. It's like, ah, there it is. And so know what happens then is someone will say, well, here's the reason. So if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to vacuum, and then you'll receive it. That's, that's really bad theology. That's not how it works. The theology that's good is we ask for the Holy Spirit, and we receive it. Yeah. And we put our faith in that. So here's how this all happened for me. When I was living in a, there must be something about basements, because Moody and I were both in our basement. I was sitting there in the band house that we were living in, and I'd been pouring over scripture for a couple weeks, because I saw there was something to this. There was something I was missing out on in my life and in my ministry. I felt powerless. And as I began to pour over scripture, saying, God, what is it that you have for me? What is it that's missing inside of my life? And I began to see in Joel 2 how it talked about what was going to happen. I saw how Jesus said that he came and he was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. I saw that he said that this was a promise for all generations, all those who are near and who are far, all those who call in the name of the Lord. I saw that he said that when we asked for it, we would receive it. And so one day in my basement, I called my friends around and I said, guys, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, on Sunday at church, why don't you go and ask the pastor to pray for you for that? I said, no, I'm not going another second without it. And they never prayed with anyone to receive the Holy Spirit. And they told me, well, we don't know what to do. And I said, well, it doesn't matter what you do. Just pray that I receive it. I mean, there's just that innocence to not knowing what to do other than just trust the scripture. And that's the best way to be. And so we just prayed right there. And I said, God, I want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I want boldness. I want power. God, I want a new love and a new passion for you inside of my life. And I cannot go on. I will not leave this place without it. And I just extended my hands to heaven and cried out to God. And a love like I've never experienced before up to that point just came over me. And a joy and a new boldness and here's what happened. After I received that immersion in the Holy Spirit, it was a week later that I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I want you to pray for this person to be healed. And I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never done this before, but I thought, well, I'm, I'll just throw a Hail Mary on this one. We'll see what happens. And so I went and I prayed for this person, and they were instantly, miraculously healed. And that's a really good way to tell someone about the love of God. 
And I started getting words of wisdom and words of knowledge, not to glorify myself, not even to serve myself, but as a service to others. It says we've been given the gifts of the Spirit, the empowerment of the service of the Spirit to serve others. And that's what happened. And since that time, I've had the honor of being able to proclaim Jesus and see thousands of people respond to the gospel message. There was a new power that came into me. It wasn't that I've changed. It's that the Holy Spirit came into me. I'm not better at preaching than I was then. I'm not better at sharing what Jesus has done in my life now than I was then. It's just like with Moody. He went up and preached that same powerless sermon, but with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him, the world changed. So you guys stand with me this morning. spend some time before the Lord to invite you to close your eyes and let's just ask God what it is what is he speaking to you now maybe if say you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus but he's been speaking to you today He's been calling you to himself. Then the step that you make right now is you respond to that. You say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I put my faith and my trust in you for my salvation. I am yours. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you fill me with new life? Or maybe you've been a Christian, but you felt the frustration like I did and like so many others have. Over, you know you have the presence of God in you, you've been saved, you've been set free, you're being transformed into the image of God, but you've been lacking the power in your life that comes from the immersion with the Holy Spirit. And you see that need for it in your life and in your ministry, to be filled with power, to be filled with boldness so that you can make disciples, so that you can have a new passion for Jesus burning inside of your heart. If that's you this morning, you'd be so bold as to just raise your hand to say, God, that's me. I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I need boldness inside of me. I need power inside of me. And for the Christians in the early times, it wasn't even a one-time thing that happened. It records again in the book of Acts. They've seen all kinds of miracles and are being persecuted. And they come back and say, God, I need it again. Would you fill me again with your Holy Spirit, with power, with boldness? And it says that once again, the room was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just been a dry season in your life. And you say, God, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to do. We're just going to ask, just like Jesus told us to. And when we ask, we're going to receive. So, Father, we come before you tonight, this morning, whatever it is. And, Jesus, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit on us, that we would be immersed, that we would be baptized with your Holy Spirit. God, over every heart, every, every raised hand, God, would you fill them like vessels overflowing with your Holy Spirit, God, filled with new boldness, filled with new passion, filled with the gifts of the Spirit overflowing from their lives. Jesus, so that we can continue the ministry and the mission that you have called us to. Jesus, fill us with love. God, new revelation of who you are, who we are, who we've been called to be. Jesus, we pray for freedom. God, we pray for life to fill every hand. God, we pray that you would come and you would break every bondage that is in these hearts. 
Jesus, we pray that you would deposit vision, that you would deposit wisdom, God, that you would deposit gifts of healings and prophetic words and words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Jesus, would you fill, would you build this church body so we can go out being clothed with power from on high into our city, Jesus, because there are hundreds of thousands of people here who need your touch. Jesus, would you fill us with the power, fill us with love, we receive this morning, God. We receive from you. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are. <clears throat> In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.